Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. My name is Joe Works. I am in Exton, in Exton. I am in Elmira, New York. What are you doing in Exton, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I wish I was in Exton because I'd be able to watch uh, Jeff Smelser uh, and uh, all of his talents. But um, uh, joining me here is Chase Byers in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And shortly, Jeff will be joining us. Uh, he is on his way, I believe, to the building. And so he'll join us here in just a few moments. Uh, also want to thank Drew DeGrado for uh, being the our tech guy this afternoon, uh, making sure that everything is running smoothly. And so if it's not running smoothly, it's Drew's fault. Um, but... Um, Chase, did you have uh, anything to uh, to say before we get into our study? Um, anything going on there at Harrisburg? Uh, no, I mean, we just got a lot of snow on the ground. Uh, for anybody that was thinking about coming to our uh, midweek Bible study, it's actually going to be canceled tonight because of the snow and all. So no news here. So, Okay. Well, uh, like I said, Jeff will join us in a few moments, but we'll go ahead and get started with our discussion this afternoon. Uh, the name of uh, this afternoon's broadcast is Faltering Between Two Opinions, and uh, that is a quote from 1 Kings 18 and in verse 21. We'll get to that text in just a little bit, but let me explain why I've decided to uh, use this for the theme for, for today. Uh, two conversations recently, one that I was a part of and uh, another that um, uh, I heard about through a friend. Neither conversation uh, is tremendously unique. Many of you have probably experienced similar things. But in one of the conversations, uh, a person was talking about whether or not they needed to fulfill commandments in order to be saved after they were saved. And this individual had stated that they, would, that they preferred to believe in the doctrine of once saved, always saved, because it gave them comfort, because they didn't want to be worried about losing their salvation. So they were simply choosing to believe that doctrine instead of accepting some scriptures that uh, show that that teaching is, is in error. And then the second illustration, uh, second example, recently had a series of Bible studies uh, been a part of. We've been going through the book of Acts. We've noted on several occasions the, the clarity that the book of Acts describes for the necessity of baptism. Uh, you know, you have Acts 2 and in verse 38, um, uh, you, you have the instructions that in Acts, the eighth chapter for the Samaritan city, and then later on for the Ethiopian. And then in Acts 9, you have uh, Paul, Saul, being baptized by Ananias. In chapter 10, you have Cornelius, and, and in every one of those passages, it just becomes clear, even just by themselves, that baptism is something that, that is necessary and uh, urgent even for the believer. And having gone through those studies with, uh, with some people that we were studying with, the, uh, the very next study, we came into the study, or a friend of mine came into that next study, and those people that had been sitting in that discussion had decided that maybe baptism wasn't necessary. 
shocking to, you know, what do you do with that? Because we saw these passages last week. We all agreed that it what the what they thought. And then they come back a week later and they change their mind without any real, like, well, but this verse or something like that. There, there was none of that. It was just that they've chosen not to accept that because it doesn't conform with their prior teaching. Um, now, I'm thankful that those discussions, th- that study is not over with. I hope that we can still make some headway there. But it's really got me to think about this idea of uh, faltering between two opinions, not being able to, to come to a clear decision about God's word and remain true to that uh, because it is God's word. Yeah, that, that's certainly an interesting story. And, it, and it's, I, I know you know this, it's not unique to you. I mean, we've all had different experiences where we've been talking to someone about what scripture teaches and they see it right there. Um, and they, they might be inclined to agree to that in the moment, but when they come back a little later, they decide that's not really what they wanted to believe because maybe the weight of what that means starts to sink in a little bit. Um, and so I think it's such a good topic to, to see what God's word has to say about us when we are being fickle and when we are uh, being wishy-washy when it comes to what scripture says. Right. And, and fickleness really, uh, it doesn't seem like a very um, a polite word or mature word, but that is exactly the, uh, what we're talking about is people that, that just won't make up their mind when they see it clearly through the scriptures. They're, they're not willing to, to make a firm stand for, for what God has said. And, and we ought to recognize that if we refuse to do that, we are being displeasing to God. Um, and, uh, you know, God is truth. Uh, he is true. Um, and we have to accept his word. In First Kings 18th chapter, you have the story of, of Israel, a nation that was supposed to be God's, uh, be the Lord's people. But they have gone off into apostasy. They've gone off into idolatry. Um, they have some pretty evil leadership amongst them. Uh, Ahab is king and Jezebel is queen. So it's a pretty dark time for the nation of Israel. And Elijah comes along. He comes onto the scene and he begins to challenge the teaching of the, the false prophets. And so he calls for a, a debate, sort of. Um, but it's not so much a debate of words as it is a, a debate of manifestation of, of who is God. So he gathers all of the prophets together um, in verse 20. Uh, he sent for Ahab and called for all of the prophets together. So you have, uh, what, 450 prophets of Baal, another 400 prophets of Asherah that were perhaps there as well. Uh, so either 450 or 850 and on the other side of this debate is Elijah. And so Elijah calls out to the people in verse 21, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And amazingly, the, says the people answered him not a word. They don't want to take a stand. They, they don't want to uh, you know, cast their, uh, their vote, if you will. They, they, they don't want to stand up for one or And so Elijah's response is, uh, I alone have left the prophet of the Lord, Baal's prophets, 450 men. And so he then begins to set up this contest of, uh, of, of a sacrifice. And so he has 
uh, two bulls slaughtered, laid on the wood, no fire. Um, he, he offers for the prophets of Baal to call out to, to Baal and uh, let Baal respond with fire to consume this sacrifice. And of course, they begin to do that. But verse 26, for example, there's, there's no response. There's no voice. No one answered. And so they get louder and they jump up and down and they do all kinds of things. Uh, verse 27, you, you see the prophet uh, just showing the foolishness of their actions. He's like, you know, yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's asleep. Um, and he's not just making fun of another religion. He's pointing out the futility of calling out for a God that is non-existent. And so eventually it's, it's shown that uh, Baal is not going to respond. And so then instead of just calling out to God, Elijah repairs the altar of the Lord that had been broken down, takes the sacrifice, uh, lays it there with the wood, and instead of just calling out to God, he makes it even more challenging by pouring water over the sacrifice and over the wood um, several times, four water, filling four water pots, uh, doing it once and then twice, and then even the third time in verse 34. He calls out to God. God responds with a fire that consumes all of that. And eventually in verse 39, it says the people saw it. They fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, you know, there may be, we, we can discuss this a little bit, but it's great. You think, well, they weren't going to make their a decision. Now they've seen the conclusion. So now they're going to make a decision about this. But do we see any change in the people of Israel after this? Do, do they become, um, you know, fervent for Lord in, in their spirit? Do, do they begin to, to serve after the Lord? There's very yeah. little indication that, that they actually make any changes. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at what happens to Elijah in the chapter net, uh, right after that. And uh, not only do you not see a change in Israel and the people, but you don't see a change in Jezebel. Um, I mean, I, if I had my wife come and tell me about the things she witnessed, you know, and saw this thing happen, it would make me want to humble myself before the God that did this. But Jezebel, in fact, she wants to kill him. Uh, she, she wants to kill Elijah. And Elijah gets to the point where he tells God to take his life. And so right. it is just truly amazing that even after seeing this, people aren't willing to turn. Yeah. Jeff Smelser is with us. Uh, glad you're able to join us, Jeff. Yes, it's good to be here. I'm still trying to make sure that we get our normal viewers from Facebook online, and when I keep posting it, all that comes up is a link to a um, a Bible, a, kind of a small group Bible study that I did last week. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. Um, so have, can one of you guys post it to my Facebook page, or maybe you already have? I already have. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry for the confusion. I had all kinds of trouble when I came in here. I had one computer that had been shut down, but I, I heard your discussion, your introduction there um, to the uh, story in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. And is it 18, right? Yes. Seconds. Uh, no, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, right. Yeah. And uh, in the scenario you were describing about people who couldn't seem to make up their minds, uh, they would see what the Word of God said, uh, but and then they would seem to embrace it, accept it. But then under the pressure of not wanting to, to leave the, their previous allegiances, they would decide, no, that's not what the Bible said. Right. 
And, and even after this great debate uh, at Mount Carmel, uh, where it is clear that Jehovah is God and Baal is not, even after that, as, as Chase is pointing out in the 19th chapter, um, one of the things we recognize is God's own words are stated in chapter 19 and verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to, to Baal. Um, and so you still have a tremendous uh, minority of Israelites who are, are not Baal worshipers. Um, and so it's quite disturbing to think after such clarity uh, that, that Jehovah is God, that people are still not following after him. And we find the same thing might give some lip service to being a follower of God, um, their actions don't, uh, don't match that. And sometimes I think what we have to ask, ask ourselves, am I, am I coming through? You're, you're, uh, I hear two of you. So. Okay, we don't want to hear two of me. Why are we hearing two of me? Okay, well, now it's, it's corrected itself. So. Okay, uh, good. Okay, well, I was just going to say sometimes – the problem is we haven't figured out why we believe what we believe. Um, you have the story in second Kings, the 11th chapter and 12th chapter uh, where there's a, a young King named Joash. He was, uh, he was the, the uh, son of, of um, Ahaziah, King of Judah. And uh, when Ahaziah was killed, Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah killed all of her grandchildren, all of her grandsons, uh, she wanted to rule, and she didn't want any competition from them, except one. There was one grandson, Joash, who was saved by an aunt and an uncle, if I remember correctly, Jehoiada and uh, Jehoshabeth. And and when he was about six or seven years old, he was made king. And how in the world can a six or seven-year-old rule as king? Well, he relied on the guidance of his uncle, Jehoiada. And for years, he reigned. And as he grew up, he did what was right uh, following the guidance of Jehoiada. But after Jehoiada died, uh, it says in chapter 12, in the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And verse 2 says, he did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But then what happened was when Jehoiada died, and some of the uh, people wanted to go after idolatry, he went along with them. And when his, um, I guess it had been his cousin, but he had been raised as a brother with him, a, a son of Jehoiada named Zechariah, if I remember correctly, came along and rebuked him, he had Zechariah put to death. And he just goes whole hog in the way of evil. Well, what, what happened here? He had been doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he had been doing it because he was following the direction of Jehoiada. And so the problem here was he wasn't really devoted to the Lord. And I think that's part of the problem sometimes when somebody is fickle and they go back and forth. They may say, yes, okay, I see what's, what the Bible says. I see what's true, but no, I changed my mind. I don't think that's what it says. Sometimes it comes down to ultimately their loyalty is not to the Lord. It's to something else. That's a great point, and might just make a note here. A lot of times people will study Joash and Josiah and some of those as lessons for, for young people, for teenagers or whatever. But you made the point, how old was Joash when, uh, 
Jehoiada dies and he's kind of left to his own then? Yeah, let me look up, look that up. That may be over in the account in Chronicles. He reigns 40 years, but exactly uh, when this, um, I'm going to have to look it up here real quickly. Uh, I'll come back to me in a second and I'll try to have that for you. Okay, and, and maybe, maybe it's not told as, clear, as clearly as what I thought, um, but you have in verse 6 of chapter 12, um, uh, it's in the 23rd year of King Jehoash, Jehoash, um, the priest had not repaired the temple. Um, and so that would be the 23rd year of his reign. So he's 30 years old or so at that point. Yeah, Jeho- Jehoiada lived 130 years, so uh, that could be... So I, the point that I wanted to make is that this is this idea of fickleness or, you know, changing after somebody that, that has been leaving you, maybe they move or they pass away or something, uh, not just reserved for, uh, you know, high schoolers or college age. Um, even people walk appear to walk away from the Lord uh, later in life um, because they, they weren't really devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to a spouse or to, to a preacher or to somebody else. Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. So can you think of other examples that would fit into uh, the category we're talking about? And as well, those that are following us uh, uh, through the, the Internet, Facebook, or wherever, uh, if you have any examples, uh, please feel free to, uh, to send those to us. Well, another one that comes to my mind is Asa, king of Judah, and his fickleness or his kind of faltering between two opinions, it, it manifests itself in when he is willing to turn to the Lord and then when he's not willing to turn to the Lord. Um, and the first instance is when the Baasha, king of Israel, comes against him and he turns to the Lord and says, there's no one to, to help us but you, Lord. We, we put our trust in you. And this is going to be over in 1 Kings um, first Kings, the 17, 18. No, it must be in second. 15, I think. What is it? 15. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so he puts his trust in, in the Lord and the Lord delivers him. But then a little bit later on, the Ethiopians come up against him and he's vastly outnumbered. Uh, and so this time though, he doesn't turn to the Lord. He looks for help, um, uh, from, uh, I'm trying to remember now, the king of Syria, if I remember right. Right, right. Ben Hadad, uh, chapter 15 and verse 18, right. Okay. And, and then he's rebuked, the prophet Hanani comes and rebukes him for that. And the point that I want to get at is, here's a man, in one instance, he's commended because he turned to the Lord and he relied on the Lord. In another instance, very similar, he doesn't rely on the Lord. And we're really not told what the difference was, why in one instance he did and why in the other instance he didn't. But we we need to learn a lesson there to be consistent in our reliance upon the Lord, not be fickle. But but let me me put a caveat there or a disclaimer. I mean, what if somebody tricks us or deceives us? What if, you know, we've been told something, but then somebody else comes along and and gives us another message? Um, You know, would that not... uh, uh, relieve us of any guilt in that matter? Well, Joe, it's funny you should ask about that scenario. <laughs> there is, of course, the story in First Kings, the 13th chapter, of a prophet who had been told something by God. He knew what he had been told by God, and he seemed to be on the right path, and then he believed a lie 
from somebody who said, well, God actually said something else. And so the story is set in the time when Jeroboam leads a rebellion and separates the 10 northern tribes from the southern tribe of Judah. Jeroboam rules over the 10 northern tribes. And to keep the people from going back to Rehoboam, who is king in the south, he builds high places, sets up altars uh, and, uh, and idols in Bethel and Dan in his territory, and says, here are your gods, worship them. You don't need to go back to Jerusalem, where Rehoboam is king, to the people. And uh, so then there's a prophet from Judah who comes up and rebukes the altar, curses the altar. And at first Jeroboam says, seize him. Uh, but when he does so, Jeroboam's hand is withered, and he realizes God is against him. And so now he wants to make nice with this prophet, and he invites him to stay for dinner. And the prophet says, we're in now 1 Kings, the 13th chapter, verse 12, or verse 8. The man of God said to the king, if you were to give me your house, uh, half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. Uh, so he went another way home. So God had told him, you go up there, and then you don't hang around and socialize with those people. You come, you turn around and go back. And that's what the prophet was going to do. But, Chase, you will remember that uh, something happened. He got a message from somebody else, an interference. Yeah, uh, someone else, this older prophet comes along, and he says, hey, uh, I heard from God, and you should come, and you should stay here, and you should eat. So the older prophet claims that he has a message from God. So the young prophet knew what God had said, but now he believes somebody when they tell him God said something else. And so he does stay and he does eat and he ends up losing his life over it. This is a powerful lesson. When we know we have God's word in the scriptures, in the Bible, once we know that's God's word, then when somebody else comes along, my next-door neighbor, my favorite preacher, whoever it is, and says, well, no, God really doesn't mean that. Here's what God means. Let's not be so fickle that we quickly say, oh, well, I guess I, I don't have to listen to what it said in the Bible. Uh, well, I was going to go on to another example, Joe, so if you had another comment to make. Well, I, I just think that that's such a powerful uh, lesson there in First Kings 13, and for those that are following in their Bibles, at the very end of verse 18, the, the last sentence there, but he lied to him. You know, we just have to recognize that there are people who won't tell the truth about God's will. Um, that seems very clear, at least to me, by the fact that you have so many different doctrines today regarding salvation, regarding what God wants his people to do. Um, they all cannot be right. Um, we sort of live in this uh, postmodern world uh, Gardner Hall has written about, uh, you know, that everybody has their own truth. And that's simply not the case. And here's a great passage to recognize else lied to him. That, that old prophet was wrong. He was, he was bad for doing that. But that does not free you from the guilt of, or the consequences of disobeying God. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned the confusion in the religious world that exists, and sometimes people will say, well, the, 
you can, nobody can understand the Bible. There's so many different religions and so many different doctrines out there, and they'll lay the, the blame at the Bible, at the feet of the Bible. They'll say, the problem is the Bible's hard to understand. That's really not the problem. There are some things that are hard to be understood. Peter allowed that Paul wrote some things hard to be understood. However, he went ahead and qualified and says, it's the ignorant and the unsteadfast who rest those things. Uh, it's not things that can't be understood. I'll grant you, there's some things that are going to be difficult in the Bible, and I don't understand some things. But when it comes to what I need to know to be saved, what I need to know to obey God in my life, I can understand God's word. But then why are there so many different doctrines out there? This is a little book, Question and Answer Catholic Catechism. I have several different Catholic catechisms. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, various um, representatives of the Roman Catholic Church put out these little catechisms that, that summarize Catholic doctrine. You had one there, Chase? Yeah, I've got, I've got one right here as well. Yeah, that, yeah, that, I've got that exact one also. Yeah. Um, but this, this is telling. Uh, because Catholic doctrine is very different than uh, the doctrine taught in a lot of the Protestant churches. And I'm not here to defend the Protestant churches. I just This is a quick example. Um, the question is asked, why is sacred tradition of equal authority with the Bible? That should catch a lot of people's attention. Wait a minute, sacred tradition is of equal authority with the Bible? And it goes on, it says, the Bible and sacred tradition are of equal authority. They are equally the word of God. What that tells you is, and, and I had this, I had a conversation with a Catholic priest one time. I sat down with a Catholic priest. I just wanted to get uh, a firsthand answer from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about this issue of Catholic priests being called father. You know, Jesus said, call no man on earth your father in, in Matthew chapter 23, talking about using the term father as a religious title. And at this point, I was young, and I thought of these Catholic priests as very educated men who know the scriptures. And so I honestly asked them, I said, I, I'm sure you have an answer for that. You know what it says in Matthew 23, and you're an educated man. What is it you say about that? And I expected he would come back with some answer from the Bible. No. He said, oh, you don't understand. Uh, we don't have to find our answers in the Bible. If it's in our tradition, that's good enough. And, and so when you talk about religious confusion in the world and diversities of opinions, don't, don't lay the blame at the Bible when, in fact, people are saying, I don't have to listen to the Bible. I can get it from my tradition, and that's good enough. Right. Jeff, there's a similar book a Catholic friend of mine gave me this past week to read called Why is the Catholic Bible Bigger? Um, and I think one of my favorite quotes in this, in an article, or in, in the appendix, there's an article called Sola Scriptura and the Problem of the, the Canon. It, in its conclusion, it says, uh, ironically, the principle of Sola Scriptura is the chief impediment to defining the exact limits of the Scripture within Protestantism. It places the Scriptures as the final court of appeal, but is un it is unable to identify which judges are to sit on its bench. A solo scripturist may say, thus says the Lord, provided he qualifies his statement with the words, I think. Um, and so the, the book goes on to describe why we can't just take scripture for what it says. And the article gives three fallacies for believing in solo scriptura. It's just real interesting that people are biting onto that. And then it kind of leads me into, uh, if it's okay, Joe, for a second, in Ezekiel 13. Please, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so in Ezekiel 13, of course, Ezekiel, he's prophesying and preaching to a uh, 
to the group of captives um, in, in Babylon. And in verse 1 of chapter 13, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among ruins. And I know, uh, just for a second, I know that sounds kind of confusing. That's not language we use. But if you think about it, in the ruins of a city, the foxes, they're just having a field day, right? They're able to go wherever they want. And Israel, in this time, here they are captive. And they are in ruins, and these false prophets are just giving them false hope, and they're, they're telling them false things. Uh, and so I think it's just really interesting in Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel, or God is making the point, these false prophets are wrong. Um, they're, they're not right. They are preaching what they want to preach, and it's not from me. They're saying it's the word of the Lord, but it's not. Uh, God goes on to say in verse 6, they see falsehood. Uh, or sorry, in verse 5, you have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They see falsehood and lying divination, who are saying the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares? But it is not I who have spoken. Uh, so again, God is making the point, I didn't say these things, they are being false. And I think one of the things God is saying is you got to figure out how to discern between these two things. There's another, uh, but God's, God's fed up. There's another passage in Ezekiel uh, that I think gets to part of this problem when people are a little fickle in their allegiance to the Word of God. And it illustrates that in this instance, the problem is that they really don't look at the Word of God as something that is uh, to be to, to, to govern them. They look at the Word of God as as something that they want to hear that will make them feel good. Um, this is Ezekiel 33. You were in Ezekiel 13, right, Chase? That is correct, yeah. This is in Ezekiel 33, and, and this is, you know, the prophet Ezekiel who is telling the people things they don't want to hear. And um, it, at least, well, hang on. You'll see. <laughs> Let me read the passage. In a sense, they want to hear it, but they want to hear him talk. They don't necessarily want to hear the, the, the responsibility it puts on them. Verse 30, as for you, son of man, talking to Ezekiel, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses speak to one another, uh, each to his brother saying, come now and hear what the message is which comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people, but they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. Well, they hear your words, but they do not practice them. I think that that characterizes a lot of people who, oh, let's go listen to what the preacher says. Oh, that's a nice sermon, preacher. That was really nice. And then just go their way and live however they want to live. They don't see that we're supposed to take these words into our hearts and let these words change us and then rule us. And, of course, if that's our way of thinking, we're going to be rather fickle with respect to obedience to God's word. Good, good. Uh, another example that goes along with the same timing or, or uh, about the same timing of, of Ezekiel in uh, Jeremiah 
the 42nd chapter, um, you know, it's, it's a time of great upheaval in back in Jerusalem. Uh, the city's in ruins, and there's not many. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has placed a, a man as governor. He's been murdered uh, in an attempted coup. People are afraid that the, uh, uh, the Babylonians are going to come back and destroy even more. And so they come in Jeremiah 42. They come to Jeremiah, and they're, they're really scared. And this sort of, to me, this, this kind of goes to the idea of, you've heard the phrase that, that there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, they are really scared at this point. And, and so they come to Jeremiah, and, and you know, uh, verse 2, I'll begin. They said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for this remnant, uh, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing which we should do. And uh, Jeremiah says, okay, I, I'll do that, and, and I'm not going to hold anything back. And they said, please don't, you know, don't, don't hold any back, anything back. In verse 6, they say, whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God that we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. You know, seriously, put yourself in their sandals. They are really scared of what's going to happen to them because the Babylonians, they are fearful, is going to come and just wipe them out. And so just they emphasize, please pray to God. Tell God to, to, to show us what we should do and where we should go. And, and twice in verse 6, we're going to obey his voice. So Jeremiah goes, God reveals to him, and he says, uh, and, and uh, I'll just paraphrase some of this, uh, okay, what you need to do is you need to go back, and you need to submit to Babylon, you need to humble yourselves, and you need to obey what, uh, what Babylon tells you to do. And their immediate response is, you're a liar. Uh, we don't believe you. We're, we're, we, that, that's not what God has said, and uh, we're not going to do it. Um, it it's just so sad, the, the, the reaction that, that they have um, to this. After they had stated so clearly that they wanted to obey God's voice, but I started there in chapter 42. I think really some of what we can see begins back in chapter 41. After the governor had been murdered and the people are afraid, it says back in verse 17 of chapter 41, they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimam, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt. They're already on the road to Egypt when they stop and ask God, God, what should we do? Really, what they were looking for was confirmation of what they already wanted to do. They're, they're on their way to Egypt when they ask, yeah. and they find didn't go, when God says don't go, they say, no, we're going to go anyway. Yeah. That, we need to step back, and, and whatever our religious you know, uh, understanding is, we really need to step back and say, now, am I truly listening to God's words, or am I just giving this lip service? Oh, we want to obey the voice of the Lord. We're going to do whatever God says. Well, then when we read something, do we go and, and you know, well, I don't believe him. It, how many times have we heard over, you know, whatever the, uh, the political issue is or whatever the, the laws of land are trying to, 
the undermined God's will. Um, you know, we hear people say, well, but, but that's just a man that wrote that or, or whatever. Well, Jeremiah was just a man. He was God's word. This phenomenon of, of saying we want to follow God as long as, as God says what we want to hear, we see that kind of illustrated again in Numbers 22 when Balaam uh, is sought by the king of Moab, Balak. Uh, Balak wants to hire Balaam to come curse the Israelites. And so the text that I'll pick up with is Numbers chapter 22 and verse 8. When the, when the de- de- delegation from the king comes to Balaam and offers him money and everything, he said to them in verse 8, spend the night here and I'll bring back to you at, uh, as the Lord may speak to me. And so verse 9, God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zephor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there's a people who come out of Egypt. They cover the surface of the land. Now come curse them for me. In verse 12, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they're blessed. That right there was the answer. So Balaam got up the next morning, told him, I can't, I can't curse the Israelites for you. God told me not to. And so they, another delegation came, more uh, higher ranking people, more money is offered to Balak. And so in verse uh, 15, it describes them. Balak, I said, did I say Balak? The king is the one who sent them. Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing I beg you hinder you from coming to me. I will indeed honor you richly, and so on. So Balaam says, well, uh, though he says, verse 19, now please uh, stay here tonight, and I'll find out what else God will speak to me. And as the story goes on, God is clearly very displeased with Balaam. Here's the thing. He had the answer from God. He knew what the answer was from God. He was going back to God to see if he could get God to change his mind about the answer because he was offered all these riches. Uh, so sometimes people aren't really looking to do God's will, to make God's will their own will. They're, they're looking to make their will God's will. God, you decide that what I want to do is okay. Yeah, somebody uh, texted in uh, here in these comments and said, uh, regarding the people in, in Jeremiah 42, and the same thing would apply here for Balaam, they want to hear their own thoughts and desires from God's mouth. Yes, yes. They hear right. God's desires and thoughts. They want to hear their own re- just coming from God. Yeah. And, and, and that's really what idolatry is, uh, where we set up something to tell us what we want to do. And in this case, what we're setting up is our our, our own desires. That's our God. We may impose it on something else, but we're really our own God. I could just turn this on its head for just a second as well. We're, you know, we're talking about being fickle with, with the word of God and and what we see. I think, I think too, there is such an application to be made about being fickle in our faith. You know, God bringing us through one trial and then doubting him in the next. Uh, And in particular, I think of Isaiah 30 and 31. I've, I've been going through Isaiah on my own time lately, and it's something that stuck out to me. When the Israelites, in particular the southern kingdom, are, I believe it would be the Assyrian armies pressing in on them, and they're looking to Egypt for help. And one of the things God says to them in in Isaiah 30, in verse 2, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. Uh, God goes on to say, 
in verse five, everyone will be ashamed because of a people who cannot profit them, who are not for help or profit, but for shame and also for reproach. And in chapter 31, God elaborates on this more, talking about how just vain and empty Egypt's going to be for them. And so I, I just think to our life um, and our faith, can you imagine what it looks like to God to be so faithful and dedicated to him? And then in an instant, when we get scared about something or something bad happens in our life, and we just run to something else for comfort or safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, it's the same thing. Exactly. And I think it's a, that, if I can make a connection there with what you were quoting from that book earlier, Chase, of, okay, so we have God's word, but, but who's going to be the judge of it? Well, that's like saying we have laws regarding driving but who's going to be the judge? You know, do I really need to obey that stop sign or that speed limit sign? Well, who's the judge of it? Well, you know, there actually is a judge over at the courthouse that will make that determination. Yeah. By saying who's the judge doesn't mean is it Chase or Jeff or Joe or whoever. There is a judge of God's word. We are required to obey. Um. So uh, another illustration of this uh, that I think is pretty powerful, we've got about four minutes left here, in Acts, the 14th chapter, maybe just to recognize the extreme to which people can go. And if we're not careful um, with, uh, with, with ourselves, we may find ourselves hopefully not to this extreme, um, but accepting things that, were, that we understood to be abominations and repulsive in the past and now, because of the, the, the change of winds and, uh, you know, the, the, the social climate, we're tempted to, to, to just do a 180. In the city of Lystra, in Acts, the 14th chapter, Paul and Barnabas travel there. They heal a man, and they're preaching and teaching about Jesus. And instead of listening to Paul and Barnabas' words, the people begin to call them gods. They call Barnabas Zeus, and they call Paul Hermes in Acts 12 and verse 14. They're trying to bow down to Paul and Barnabas. The priest of Zeus comes out and and tries to offer up a sacrifice uh, to, to these two men. They are calling them gods. Paul and Barnabas reject that completely, try to point them toward the living God in verse 15. And then some Jews come from Iconium, and they actually persuade the people of that town who earlier had been calling Paul and Barnabas gods. They persuade those people to drag Paul out and stone him to death. It's absolutely incredible that they could go from bowing down before him to trying to kill him in a, a matter of a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One, one, I don't know if this is the last, but one more example. Would you, could you say Peter was at least for a time fickle? Yes. I, I think you could say that at just about, about all the disciples there toward the end of Jesus's life. So, it, and we talk about men who had spent three years with Jesus and seeing his miracles um, it's, it's really quite a challenge to be persistent, consistent, steadfast in, in following the Lord. In the case of Peter, of course, what we're referring to is that after saying that if everybody denied the Lord, he would never deny the Lord. And of course, 
he denied the Lord three times before the cock crowed the next morning. Um, sometimes, and in Peter's case, I don't, I don't think it's insincerity so much as it's um, more, more, I, I think more highly of myself than I ought. I think more highly of my strength than I ought. Exactly. Uh, and uh, sometimes we just need to take stock and say, you know what, maybe I need to, to be focusing on developing myself. Maybe I'm not as, I have not arrived as far as I'd like to have others think I have. Yeah, excellent point. And, and, and may we seek to, to mature as Peter did and uh, try to, to see where we still need to grow and, uh, and develop that maturity, get rid of that pride and self-confidence uh, leave that in the Lord's hands. And, and seek, seek to pray to God to help us um, in our trials and in our temptations. I mean, Jesus told uh, Peter, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I wonder how things would have turned out for Peter if he had heeded that advice. And so uh, in our faith and our, in our fickleness, sometimes we must remember to, to turn to God in prayer. Very good. Well, gentlemen, we're out of time uh, this afternoon. Thanks for uh, participating. Thanks for all of those who have been listening in. Uh, we pray that uh, this has been a blessing to study this topic. Uh, and uh, Lord willing, we'll join you again uh, next Wednesday at the same time.